If you have your Bible with you tonight, I would encourage you to open it up and just go ahead and begin by turning to the book of Acts. Tonight I want us to do a lesson that's maybe a little bit different. It's uh, hopefully to be informative for you to put some things in your pocket to be able to maybe help you to talk to other people who might have questions about what you believe and uh, what you practice. I'm sure that all of us at one time or another have heard somebody say something about us that we don't agree with, or it's a misrepresentation. Uh, It's just a partial truth or a grain of truth or maybe no truth in it at all. And when those things happen, we want to clarify. And um, this has been the case with the Lord's church. Uh, it, It still exists today. Have you ever heard somebody represent you in a way that isn't accurate? Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, the Church of Christ? Yeah, that's that group that, and we can fill in the blanks. And um, oftentimes the perceptions are not based in fact. Um, And that's what I want us to deal with tonight. I want to begin by saying this, though. It's nothing new. It has been that way since the church has been in existence. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 17. And uh, as Paul went to Athens, do you remember what the people said there in Acts chapter 17? Look at at verse 6 with me. But when they did not find them, um, they... uh, Excuse me, Acts 17, verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Uh, An accusation made against Paul. Paul has come preaching. And the people got upset, and they hauled a man off to prison, and they told the magistrates, Now, we've got trouble Those people, you know the ones I'm talking about, the the ones that have turned the world upside down, they've come here. Now we're going to have to deal with them. I wish that it could be said of us that we are turning the world upside down. I I, I wish Carnes, the community, would say, the church, uh, right right over here. I, I wish that people could say, yeah, they're turning the world upside down. Um, I hope that that's the case. Oftentimes, churches will be in loca- located in communities, and it will actually be the community is tur- that has turned the church upside down. And that has it backwards. But here, people concerned because the church has come, the gospel has come to their community, and they say, oh boy, we're in for trouble now, because those who have turned the world upside down are now here at our doorsteps Look at Acts chapter 17 and and verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, Paul, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Paul went to Athens and he's preaching to this uh, hyper-religious community. They believed in everything. They had all sorts, and they, they, he, he was able to present the case of Christ. And some said, hmm, interesting, this whole concept of a resurrection and stuff. That's pretty neat. Uh, and, but yet others said, this is, this is weird. This is foreign to us. He, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign 
God. Some called him a babbler. But again, uh, the, the idea that here's a gospel preacher who comes to a community and he preaches Jesus and they say, this is really out there, different from anything we've ever heard. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas were at Philippi, look at verses 20 and, and 21. And they brought them out to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and to, uh, or, or to observe. Now, all Paul and Silas had, had done is come to the community, and they had helped a woman who was demon-possessed. That's what they had done. That's a good thing. But they had trumped up these charges against them, and they have said, ah, they're, they're troublemakers, and, and they're troubling our community, and they're teaching things that are not lawful. They're going to get us in trouble with Rome, and something has to be done with them. They hadn't troubled anybody. They had come and taught the truth and brought freedom to a captive. You see, even in the New Testament days, those who proclaimed the message of Christ were often misrepresented. They were seen as troublemakers. They were seen as those who promoted foreign concepts, foreign ideas. They were those who seemed to have turned the world upside down. You're shaking, you're rattling the cage, just, you know, you're... You're, you're just shaking everybody up. And so those charges have been around for a long time. And I would suggest to you today that those charges continue to be perpetuated against the church. And what we need to do, I think, or what would be helpful for us to do, is to be able to answer some of the charges that are made. Uh, some charges are sometimes made because people just don't know better. Uh, they've heard, haven't you met people? Maybe you came from a background, you didn't know a whole lot about the church, but what you did know about the church is this, this, and this, and you come to find out those things aren't true at all. A number of years ago, I had uh, some studies with some people who came to uh, us, and, and we began studying, and they said, well, uh, we heard you believe this. No, no, we don't believe that. Where did you get that? Well, that's what our preacher told us. He told us you believe this. And I said, no, that's, that's just not the case. So some people may have ideas about us and what we believe and teach from what they've heard, and that's all they know. And they hold their position honestly, but they're just mistaken. How can we help them to better understand our position? And then, unfortunately, there are those who will maliciously represent us or misrepresent us. They willingly poison our, our position or our belief, misrepresent our belief to others to uh, cause them to dismiss us and to just go on. So let's look at some things uh, tonight. I have about five or so things that uh, you often hear about the church and see if we can uh, come up with some helpful answers that will be able to equip us to try to help those who have heard but have not heard the truth. What have you heard about the Church of Christ? Good question. Here's one thing that some people have heard. Sometimes you'll find people say, the Church of Christ, oh yeah, that's, that's that group of people that they don't believe in all the Bible. The Church of Christ only believes in the New Testament. Have you ever heard anybody say that? They don't believe in the Old Testament. 
That's not true, obviously. But some people think that that's what we believe, and how is it that that has come about, and how can we help to uh, alleviate those or or to remedy those uh, misunderstandings? Well, let me say it this way. We believe in the Bible. We believe in all the Bible. All Scripture, Paul says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We believe in all Scripture coming from God. And, and I like the way one man said it. He said, I believe in all the Bible, from Genesis all the way through the maps. You know, I think that says it pretty well. I believe in all of it. Uh, and, and I do. But so where does this idea come from that we don't believe in the Old Testament? Well, it comes from a misunderstanding of a distinction that is to be made between the Old and the New Testament. I believe in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is just that. It is the Old Testament. It's not the rule for my life, for my practice, for my faith today. Uh, That's the New Testament. That's why we're given a New Testament. The Old Testament is true, but it applied to people who lived before. And the law under which we live today is the New Testament. It's not a matter of not believing the old. It's just a matter of it running its course and fulfilling its function and purpose. And its purpose today is to teach us and to strengthen us, not by obeying its laws, but by following its principles. We see how God dealt with man, how man dealt with God. We see how God uh, treated disobedience. We see how he rewarded righteousness. There's so many lessons to be learned from the Old Testament. It's true. We believe in it, but it doesn't govern our life. Let, let me illustrate it this way. In Romans, if, in fact, if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul uses marriage. It's really not a lesson about marriage. It's a lesson about the law. But he uses marriage as the backdrop, the illustration, to help them to get their arms around this change in the law. You see, these are people that had held to the law, and, and now there's a change, and there's the New Testament of Jesus Christ. And how are you going to get people to give up the old and follow the new? Well, here's what Paul said. He used marriage as an illustration. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who, don't, uh, uh, who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law so that she is no adulteress, even though she marries another man. What he said basically is this. The law says you marry a person, you're married for life. And the only way you can get separated is through death. He's talking generally. Um, He says you're married and, and if your husband dies, you can get married again because you're, he, he died. But if while he is still alive and you go out and get another husband, then you would be an adulteress. You can't have two wives or two husbands at the same time. If one's dead, you're free. But if He's not dead, you're not free. You would be called an adulteress. Now, that's the lesson, but it's not really a lesson on marriage. 
It's a lesson on the law. Look at verse 4. Therefore, I've told you that to tell you this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And he talks about, and um, if you go on down to verse 7, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except for the law. For the law, I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. Um, the point is this. Paul's saying, we've died to the old law. That's how we can marry Jesus. Had there not been a death to the law, we couldn't be married to another. That would be spiritual adultery. So the law was binding. Ephesians 2 and verse 14, Colossians, or Ephesians 2 and verse 15, Colossians 2 and verse 14, uh, Hebrews, uh, several passages in Hebrews all teach us that the law was nailed to the cross. Christ was the end of the law. It's what the law pointed to, him. At one time, when Kim and I first got married, we, we decided we better get a will. Kelly was born, and so we, we write out this will, and, and everything is left to her if something happens to her. Well, we had three more children, and so we needed to write out a new will. Now, we write out a new will, and we talk about you know all the children in this new will. Well, what if something happened to Kim and myself? Which will would they go by? Would they go by the old will, or would they go by the terms of the new will? That, that's exactly the situation here with the law. The old covenant was binding. It was the will of God. It was the word of God. It directed their lives. But when Jesus came and gave the new covenant, a new and better covenant, the Hebrew writer says, it um, fulfilled the old one. And now we live under the new one. So yeah, we believe in the Old Testament. We believe in all of God's word. But we don't believe that all of God's word still is the rule for our life. When's the last time you um, slaughtered a lamb? Well, you haven't done that lately, probably. When's the last time you uh, burned incense to God? Probably haven't done that. Do your houses have a uh, fence around the roof? Because that's what God commanded in the Old Testament. See, there are all kinds of laws in the Old Testament. We, we don't live by those laws today because they are that. They are old. We live under the law of Christ. All right, well, let's go on to another one. Here's one that you'll probably hear sometimes. The Church of Christ. Oh, yeah. That's that group of people. They're different because they don't believe in music. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Church of Christ doesn't believe in music. Well, maybe sometimes our music isn't so good, <laughs> but, but we do believe in music. We have a lot of good song leaders here, and we have engaged in music already tonight, have we not? We've sung songs of praises to God. Uh, of course we believe in music, but I, I know what they mean by that. We don't have... Uh, mechanical instruments of music. We, we don't have pianos and guitars and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you, they're, they're right in that. We, we don't have. And it's not because we lack people with talent. It's not because, you know, that stuff is just budget. Man, it'll shoot the budget through the roof if we buy all those things. It's not any of that. 
Um, it's conviction. Why don't we have music like so many other people do? Well, let me say this, and this really has really no relevance at all, but maybe it'll make you feel a little bit better. But you know, there was a time when nobody had the instruments. Nearly everybody worshipped the way that we worship with, uh, through songs. Uh, and those who had instruments were the uh, odd man out. We live in a culture right now where it's kind of flip-flop, but still millions of people, Greek Orthodox, the Reformed Presbyterians, uh, uh, there, there are a number of major religious groups, millions of people who do not employ the use of instruments, and it's not because they don't like the sound of it or it's just too expensive to maintain. It's based in conviction. And here's the bottom line, and this is it. I mean, this is the fundamental bottom line reason. Why don't we have the same kind of music that other people do? And it's the issue of authority. Colossians 3 and verse 17 Whatever you do in word or in deed, that covers what we teach and what we practice. We have to do it in the name of the Lord, by his authority. And we are authorized. You can look at several places in the New Testament, Hebrews 2, James 5, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5. And those passages tell us to sing, sing praises to God. And that's what we do. We offer the kind of worship, in fact, the the music, the kind of music that we have engaged in tonight is explicitly the kind of music that God asked us to do, um, to sing, And, and that's what we've done. And we don't want to go beyond the authority, the permission that God has given us, and so that's the reason, that's the sole reason why we don't employ um, mechanical instruments of music in our worship. Uh, you know, I, I order most of my clothes through catalog. It's hard to go into a store and find a 38 sleeve length and all those kind of things. So I have to order mine through catalog. And, and when I go to a catalog, I'll, I'll say, well, here's what I want. I, I want this. I want this shirt, and I want this pair of pants. And I don't expect them to send me half a dozen extra things, and then have them reason, yeah, but you didn't say you didn't want those. I, I expect them to understand authority. Um, and, and it's used in everyday life. If I go to the pharmacist, the doctor doesn't have to say, don't give him this, 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 this. He just writes down, give him this, and I get my prescription filled. It's the same way in every aspect of life. If I take my car to get the, the, the tires rotated, I don't expect to come back and get a bill for a new transmission because they're not authorized to do that. God tells us to function within the bounds of authority. And what God has told us to do is to sing. And so that's why we sing. Um, it is different, I suppose, from what many do. But again, the question is not, you know, there, there are things that are different, but I, I want to do what God wants. Um, there's a difference, too, and I think we need to understand the difference because, because somebody might say, well, um, where's the authority for the church building? You know, they didn't have buildings in the New Testament. Well, the Bible does 
command us to assemble, right? But, but there's no instruction as to where or how. Do we rent a place? Do we, uh, you know, buy a piece of ground and, and uh, meet under a tree? Do we rent a hall? Do we build our own building? Do we just sit out and rain? Uh, all those things are left up to our judgment. God hasn't legislated. He has legislated that he wants us to assemble. And so that's left up to our discretion, expediency. God has legislated the kind of music that he wants. He wants us to sing. And if I can find authority for more, then I can do more. But until I find that, I I don't want to transgress God's will. So yes, we also, we, we believe in music, the kind of music that is explicitly stated in the New Testament. Here's another thing. Somebody, somebody may say this to you. Church of Christ, oh yes, that's that group. They're, they're so hung up on baptism. Every, they, they can't do a sermon without talking about baptism. I'll plead guilty, I suppose, to preaching a lot about baptism. I'll accept the charge. But the reason I do that is because we live in a world in which this doctrine is diminished and all but expunged from um, our obligations. If I lived in a time when repentance were the issue that was objecting, 95% of the religious world said you don't have to repent and you can still be pleasing to God. If that's what the, our society was saying, you know what I'd preach a lot about? I preach a lot about repentance. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I will preach that. I would preach that over and over again. If I lived in a time when people said you can be secret Christians, you don't have to let anybody know about your faith, then you know what I'd do? I'd preach a lot about confession, that we must confess Jesus and not deny him. We do live in a society that says you don't have to be baptized. And because of that, I'm going to preach a lot about baptism to help people to see what the Bible says as opposed to what men are saying. In Acts 2, when the people had first sermon, they had killed the Son of God, they realized they had done wrong, and they cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? The answer they're given to the very first sermon is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, That's the answer. It was the answer then, and it's the answer today. Power's not in the water. The power's in the blood of Christ, but it's part of the plan. In Acts 8, two times we read of Philip involved teaching other people, and it says that he preached Christ. And sometimes people say, that's what we need. We need people to preach Christ. Get off baptism, preach Christ. Well, he preached Christ But preaching Christ included baptism. Look at Acts 8 and verse 12. As Peter preached Christ, what did they do? They were baptized. Well, why would they do that? He preached Christ. Apparently, preaching Christ has something to do with baptism. And then you also can look at uh, Acts 8 at the very last as he talks to the Philippian or the Ethiopian eunuch. And he too is preached Jesus unto him. But He sees water and says, here's water. Why don't I get baptized? How did he know about baptism? Because it's a part of preaching Christ. The church, yeah, we preach about baptism because the world has denied it and Jesus affirmed it. And that's why we talk about it. 
Here's another thing that you may sometimes hear about the church, and, and somebody may say, oh, well, the church of Christ, you've got to be watchful with them because they don't believe in salvation by the blood. I, I had a discussion with a guy one time a number of years ago about baptism, and uh, I may have told you this, but he addressed every letter that he wrote to me as Dear Water Dog. I, I, don't, I don't know what a water dog is, but uh, I was one. Um, but he said over and over again in this letter, he said, you don't believe in salvation by the blood of Christ. You believe in salvation by water. Friends, let me tell you, we affirm salvation by the blood of Christ. No other way. What, what do we sing? Um, you know, a number of years ago, Alexander Campbell, who hated creeds because they were divisive and he had no use for them at all, but he was asked a number of years ago, if you had no Bible, what one book would you want to possess? You know what he said? Our hymnal. Because in those hymnals are the themes that are taught in Scripture. And uh, you consider that. Uh, you look at our hymnals. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood. Um, we can go on and on. Of course we believe in salvation by the blood of Christ. Without the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's a false accusation. I don't believe in salvation uh, by water apart from the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says that our forgiveness, our redemption, is through the blood of Jesus. So... I don't believe, but, but how do we harmonize this thing then with, because you're saying you have to be baptized, but, but how does that harmonize with the blood of Christ? Well, Romans 6, we die to sin, we are buried with Christ in baptism, and we rise to walk in newness of life. We're a dead man, you bury dead men, and when he rises, he rises in newness of life. Something has happened. This dead man has become alive. What made him alive? The blood of Jesus. That's what made him alive. He's become a new creation by the blood of Christ, by the power of God. But the question is not what made him alive. We know that's the blood of Christ. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. The question is when did the blood of Christ change this man from dead to alive. Sometime between going down and coming up, that's when God did it. Baptism, the water, there's no power in that water. That's just water. But it's the time and the place when God says, I will allow you to appropriate my son's blood. And so that's why we're baptized. In Romans chapter 6, uh, the latter part, he says, you know, when we obey that form of doctrine, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when we uh, die to our sin, we're buried in it, and we rise. He says, that's when we're made free from sin by the blood of Christ. But it's when we do and meet the divine conditions that he's given us. Do we believe in salvation by the blood? Absolutely. And one more, and I'll, I'll finish the Church of Christ, oh, you'll hear this. The Church of Christ, that's that group of people 
they think they're right and everybody else is wrong. Have you ever heard that? You all think you're right and everybody else is wrong. You know what my short answer to that is? Of course I do. I mean, well, can you imagine me saying, no, I don't really think, I don't really believe what I preach. Of course I think I'm right. And where we differ or where I would differ with somebody else, I would think that they're wrong. I mean, ethical behavior. If I have any integrity about myself at all, that's the way I'm going to think. And so are they for that matter. The person who looks at you and says, you think you're right and other people who disagree with you are wrong. So do they. Hopefully, or else they have no integrity about them. Here's what I think we need to do. I don't care about who's right and who's wrong. I care about what's right and what's wrong. And if we can get it off of that plane and move it to where it should be, I I think we can discuss this and lower defenses. Sometimes people will ask that question and say things uh, like that just to prejudice the minds of people. You may be walking down the aisle at a restaurant and and somebody will say, Hey, preacher, uh, you all think you're the only ones right and everybody else is wrong, don't you? And, And they do it for the audience. You know, they've got some guys at lunch with them and they'll hit you with that just to kind of put you on the spot. I've always found a good answer to that is, that's an excellent question. When can we study? That puts it back on them. I don't think they really want to study. But um, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about what's right and what's wrong. And And rather than talking about, are you right or am I right, let's say this is right. And if you want to make sure that you're right, then you do what this says. And if I want to make sure that I'm right, then I'm going to do what this says. This is what matters. What does this say is right? John 12 and verse 48, the Bible tells us that someday, you can deny the words contained herein, but someday these words will judge you. Uh, Heaven and earth will pass away, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. John said, Scripture cannot be broken. This is right. And so I have to make sure that my life is in, in harmony with it. And so I'm not concerned about who's right and who's wrong. There are a lot of people that have a lot of different backgrounds that are right about a lot of things. But what makes them right, or what makes anybody right, is only when they agree with this. And so instead of worrying about who's right, let's focus on what's right. And let's draw our attention to that and study and make sure that we're doing what the book says. Listen, don't believe everything you hear. Sometimes things are said about the Lord's church that just aren't true. They're misrepresentations. And like I said, some of them are made just because people don't know better. They're just repeating what they've heard. But others are more sinister. They have ulterior motives. They're done maliciously. In the New Testament times, the apostles faced it. Paul faced it. This is strange stuff you're teaching. It's unlawful stuff. It's stuff that's stirring people up and causing problems and, and you're turning the world upside down and these customs are foreign, weird, and different. And, and uh, Paul dealt with that, but he continued to preach the truth. And today, there will be people that we run into who will say, you know, you're, you're not like everybody else. 
I've heard this or that about you. Sometimes they may be telling the truth. Sometimes they won't. But what we need to do is to help them to see and keep teaching the truth. That's what matters at the end of the day. What I want us to be able to do is to maybe be able to help others to see and to find their way out of the fog of the misrepresentation that uh, some people have laid down. Um, The truth has nothing to fear. Let's engage people as often as we can in study, in talk. We can talk about, I can go into a barbershop and talk about the Steelers. I can, I can go down a road and do, we, we can bring up just about anything. Listen, there's a whole lot of you who have wallets and purses that come open in a minute and you have a, a string of pictures that'll go that long of grandchildren. You can talk about your grandchildren. Let's get that way about the gospel. When people are around us, they know the gospel. And uh, hopefully some of these things that we talked about tonight will help us. Uh, Let's teach people the gospel of Christ and not let any accusations or misrepresentations sway us or move us from that mission. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, uh, if you're not yet a member of the Lord's church, uh, how do you do that? Well, you do it the same way today as you did in the first century. You hear the gospel. Do you believe it? Then turn from your sins, be baptized into Christ, and the Lord will add you to his church. You'll be forgiven of all your sin. If that's what you need to do tonight, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already, but unfaithful, and you just need prayers, you need strength, encouragement. We've got Christians here tonight who want to pray for you. And if that's your need, we will do so if you'll come as we stand together and sing.